Hello everybody and welcome to episode 4 of the Shiny Bees podcast, Close Encounters. Today is Sunday the 7th of October and in today's episode we get up close and personal with a rhino, we have a South African special guest to make Malva pudding and an update of my Dastardly podcast plans. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 4 of the podcast. Lovely to speak to you again. I'd like to say a big welcome to any new listeners and a warm welcome back to any returning listeners. It's always nice to have you here with me. This episode, I originally wanted to get out before I went swanning off to Cape Town on holiday, but unfortunately life kind of got in the way a little bit. When I say life, I'm also mean the Limpopo Education Department and it was a very busy week at the school with exams, etc. So I thought I will save it until later. So I've just got back from Cape Town. I had a lovely time. It's very nice. Very different to where I live in South Africa. And did lots of exciting things whilst I was there. Some of which was yarn-based, some of which was not yarn-based. And I will spread out the touristy things, because I literally did two weeks of touristy stuff, over the next few podcasts, because I know a lot of you like to hear about South Africa and the different things that go on here in the different places. So, as you like it, and I like to talk about it, then I will put some more of that in for you. Down in Cape Town, the weather was quite British. I think wherever we go, we seem to take it with us, to be honest with you. I think it's one of like the universal rules. Back in Limpopo, it is ridiculously hot. We've gone from sort of 15 degrees last week, and it's 34 degrees today in the shade, so I am melting just a little bit. But it's nice to be back in the sunshine. Before we went to Cape Town, we also went to the African Aerospace and Defence air show in Pretoria and I have some quite cool pictures from that. HBM preferred the helicopters, the Roy Folk in particular, which is like an Apache it's a South African Apache so it's basically a killer machine which I can see why she liked that one and my favourite was actually the um, South African Airways display which was done by an A340 which is a big passenger jet and a little group of uh, the Falcons, Silver Falcons, which is this one of the South African display teams. And that was really interesting because this is massive jets that you're just not used to seeing doing that kind of thing close to the ground. HBM was a bit scared of that because as we got her out of the car, it came rotting over our heads and she was trying to run away from it, which was never going to work. But she kind of chilled out as she got used to the fact that all these planes are going to be much closer than she's used to. And as I say, after that, we got on the plane to Cape Town. I would like to say at this point, thank you for all the feedback that I have been getting over the last sort of nearly four weeks now, I suppose. And everyone who's got in contact to say hello or send various messages. I would also like to say one special hello to Rachel. Hi, Rachel, who I think is maybe the youngest listener at the moment. But she very much enjoyed the last episode because she missed Cub Camp because she wasn't very well. And so she stayed at home and listened to my podcast (laughs) instead and found the knitted dog coats and lions very, very funny. So I'm sure she will be back this episode. It was lovely to meet you, Rachel, the other week. She's a knitter. She's very good. She was showing me all the projects. But I'll go on to that in a future episode because I want to save the Cape Town things for the future. On the way back last night, we had 
I'm sorry, I, people must really think that I make this kind of stuff up because sometimes I wonder myself and I think, who believes that this kind of stuff happens in Africa? But really, it happens all the time. You know you live in Limpopo when you're driving up the N1, which is the main motorway in South Africa and it runs all the way from the border at Zimbabwe all the way south past Jobo, Pretoria and all the way south to Cape Town. So it's like the M6 in the UK or, or the M1, probably the M6 really. And very busy, four-lane motorway. But they don't have uh, central reservations here like they do in the UK. So you just kind of rot into cars on the other carriageway going really fast. It can be quite scary. So we went very nearly home and just went through the last toll gate and we got pulled over by the police. And we all know how much I love the South African police. I just thought, oh, some idiots crashed. Because there were a lot of people driving like complete lunatics because it's Friday night and a lot of people here drink drive, which I don't agree with, but they do it. And there were lots of people driving like complete goons. I thought, well, it'd be one of these people who went past us earlier and frankly, they deserve it for driving like that. I just hope they haven't driven into someone else. So we slowed down. And the policeman made us wind down the window and I thought, oh, I've got to get our documents out and blah, blah, blah. And he said to us, uh, just mind what you're doing up there. And we said, well, why? And what's wrong? And he said, oh, there's a rhino loose in the road. At which point it was kind of like, pardon, rhino. And he said, yeah, yeah, there's a rhino. It's loose. It's in the road. And, and this rhino came trotting across in front of us, looking a little bit alarmed. <laughs> And so we, obviously the first thing I thought of doing was not moving the car out of the way, it was getting my camera out of my bag so I could get some video footage. So I've got a very, very short clip of the rhino running past. But it was quite funny because we've got this big car. I've got an XC90, a Volvo, which I've heard I would never ever buy, uh, but we have one. And a lot of people here drive Bucky's, the car, which is a double cab, like a big truck, station wagon type thing, I suppose. We don't really have a specific name for them in the UK because people generally don't buy them unless they're farmers because you cannot park them in UK car parking spaces. But a lot of people have backies here. And it's like a Toyota Hilux or a Mitsubishi Warrior or something like that. That's a backy. So we didn't want to get a backy because we wanted something a bit more comfortable. So we decided to get like an SUV instead. So we could do a bit of off-road and if we wanted to... But we would also have a slightly bigger car because there are a lot of animals that run into the road here. Normally it's not a rhino, normally it's just some kind of bocce of some description, some deer, and occasionally a cow, but normally it's not anything that large. So we thought we'll get something comfortable but big, so that if we do hit something, and my husband has hit a bocce on the N1 before, and it wasn't his fault, it just ran out in front of him. So he tells me. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we thought it would be a lot safer if we do hit something because we've seen like pictures of when people have hit kudu and literally the guy almost got decapitated because he was in a normal car and it went straight through the windscreen and it's really dangerous. So we got this XC90 and we feel quite safe in that because we're quite high up and it's quite big compared to our UK car, certainly. And didn't give much consideration to the fact that we might be going head-to-head -head one day with a rhino on a motorway. But luckily it didn't run into us or try and push us over. The people in front of us was were in a little white Volkswagen City, they're called here, and it's, I think they were called like a Fox or 
My uncle used to have a really old one and he called it a rabbit. I will get a picture and put it in the show notes so you can see, but they're very small. And a lot of people here drive them like idiots. They are the fastest cars on the road, believe me, in various <laughs> states of disrepair. And they, they saw this rhino running from right to left and took a very big swerve into the oncoming traffic lane to get away from it. And that was probably quite sensible because it would have definitely squashed that thing. So luckily we managed, he ran past us and we got away. I'm not sure what's happened to him. I hope that they managed to catch him. But I was also left thinking, how many vets are there in that area on a Friday night, on call, to come and dart it? And then once you've darted a rhino... How'd you get it on? I mean, you can't put it on a normal tr on a backy, can you? It's too heavy, so I'm not a clue how they would get it away again once they caught it. But we think it might have come from one of the private game reserves because there are some along the road there. So I will have a look. It'll probably take about four days to get into the news here, but once it does, I will let you know how it got on. So without further ado, we will go on to the news section. So in this episode I thought I would do something a bit different. I am on episode 4 now, so that's 5 episodes altogether if you count the pilot. And I've been off for a couple of weeks and giving plenty of thought to where we want to go with the podcast and things and what I want to do. So I have decided that... I would like to change the format a little bit and mix it up because I'm finding that I have a lot of stuff to talk about, crazy old thing, and it doesn't always fit in to one episode and sometimes I'll talk about things that I don't even think are that particularly interesting to make the format stay the same, for instance always doing the whipping Piccadilly section because if I've not done that much then isn't that interesting and it might not even be that interesting anyway depending on what sort of things you listen to the store, uh, to the podcast for. So, I think what I'm going to do is make the Whipping Piccadilly section to be once a month. I am trying, although not promising religiously, to stick to a roughly every two weeks schedule. And by that, I mean it will, won't be every other uh, Sunday, for instance, or anything like that. It will be twice a month, depending on how long that month is. So it might be that the episode will come out a couple of days afterwards. And that is mostly for hosting reasons and to avoid having to go up into the next band of hosting and also for my expensive internet reasons. <laughs> so the Whipping Piccadilly section will become once a month and then hopefully I can talk about that for a bit longer and not feel like I'm going over the same things over and over again. Also, I think the essay which I quite enjoyed doing last time, even though I didn't write one. I will write it properly, and that will become a once-a-month feature. It might also be that I do a comedy once-a-month feature on knitting patterns of a certain African-related theme, because that seemed to be very popular last time, on the last episode. And people generally enjoyed that quite a lot. I really enjoyed putting that one together as well, because I found it quite good fun. And obviously I didn't mean any disrespect to anyone's patterns, it was just having a giggle along with them, really. If you want to knit dog sweaters, you be my guest. Everyone is free on the podcast to knit whatever they want. And if that is a knitted thong, Jenny Von Socks, then that is fine as well. So, let me know what you think about that. I will implement that from this 
podcast onwards and tell me what you think. To that end, if you have any requests of any kind, if you have any ideas that you would like us to explore on the podcast or anything you want to hear more about that you like, then share pop and let me know because I just talk about things that I want to talk about, but I'm quite happy to talk about things that you want to talk about as well because you might be interested in in certain aspects that haven't really occurred to me. So we can do that too. Obviously, I'm not going to completely change it to your personal podcast taste, although clearly some people would like me to do that. But, um, like I said, if there's anything that you're particularly interested in, then we can talk about that some more. Also, in the news, I feel like I'm on news round a little bit, but you're all a bit more grown up than that, apart from Rachel, who is still quite young. Hello again, Rachel. On the group on Ravelry, we decided that we would do a knit-along slash crochet-along for the Knit a Square project. There are a few ladies who have already done some squares. You're much better than me. I haven't had a chance yet. So if you would like to join in with that and get rid of some of your old scraps for, for a good cause, then let us know. There might be a way of avoiding high customs charges for the boxes when they get here. You know, Again, you know how much I love the South African Postal Service and I have a whole list of things to discuss with them this week after getting back for two weeks' mail. But there may be a way that we can avoid the high postage charge for one and the customs charges. So if you are in the UK and need to post squares, please PM me and I will let you know the plan. But I don't want to publicise the plan here because it might be breaking a couple of rules. So as long as there is no actual evidence in audio format that is freely available, it is fine, I think. So if you want, like I said, if you want to get enjoyed, involved in that, then let me know. Also, if you are particularly interested in South African type topics and have some specific questions, on the group we have some very, very well qualified ladies who are actually South African and some of them are really funny. If there's anything you want to know about South Africa, then come on and have a chat. We have the Skinner section, which is just for any general chit chat that you want to kind of throw out there and come in there and Skinner away, really. Obviously, I'm British, so anything I talk about on here is my own personal sort of interpretation of it. And I don't always understand the Africanisms of things. For instance, the African method of telling the time. I will save that for another episode. But, like I said, the ladies on there are very, very friendly and very willing to answer questions about Africa. So if you've got any that you want to ask, then come and ask away and have a chat with them, because they are very funny. There will also be, over the next few weeks, some work on the blog. I haven't done any blogging, really, since doing the podcast, because a lot of my time has been taken up with the actual podcasting. But after going on holiday and getting sort of re-inspired when you have a bit of time to sit around and think about things, I have a lot of ideas that I would like to kind of put into blogs. So there are some old blogs on there that you want to read. Uh, sorry, if you want to read them. I'm not saying you want to read them, but you might do. I think they're quite funny, because I wrote them. <laughs> but it's generally, it's not very serious stuff. It's generally having a bit of a giggle at things. Go and take a look and see what you think. And like I said, there will be some work. I'll be changing it around a lot and doing more regular posting, hopefully, coming up from the next couple of weeks. So this week in the South Africa section, as promised, 
I have a South African special guest. We will be talking about cake, specifically Malva pudding. So I hope you enjoy. Let me know what you think. Okay, so we're here today with a South African special guest, as promised last time. This is Justice. Welcome to the show, Justice. Hi, thank you very much. It's good to be here. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to learn today how to make Malva pudding. Justice is going to help us because I've heard he makes the best Malva pudding ever. Definitely. Um, I'll let you know how it tastes afterwards. So, what's the history of Malva pudding, Justice? Alright, well, actually, I need research just now for the first time. The name Malva pudding is derived from a word called Malvasia, which is actually a wine. And this is traditionally a Cape Dutch pudding. Now, back in the days when the Dutch came here, they used to always drink this wine after a meal. And then with this wine, they'll have this pudding. So this is where the name Malfa comes from the wine Malvasia. Awesome. Pudding made with wine. I can't think of anything better, actually. <laughs> so, would you like to run us through the ingredients? Yes. Right, Malfa pudding basically consists of cake flour. Um, would you like to know the quantities as well? Yes, please. Alright, cake flour is about one and a quarter cup of cake flour, two teaspoons of bicarbonate of soda, a quarter teaspoon of salt, two eggs at room temperature, one cup of caster sugar, two tablespoons of butter, half a cup of buttermilk, but this is now replaced by ideal milk, which is a change in our recipe, then also one tablespoon of apricot jam, half a teaspoon of finely grated orange rind, which is optional, I don't like it, but some people can try it in their recipes, Four teaspoons, correction, tablespoons of orange juice, one tablespoon of vinegar, and then for the sauce, just to put on some extra calories, you have three quarters, um, three quarters of a cup of butter, one and a half cup of cream, one cup of sugar, one teaspoon of vanilla essence, and three quarters of a cup of water. Awesome. Butter sauce. <laughs> yes. Okay, ideal milk is... Evaporated milk. Correct. We call it ideal milk in South Africa. So evaporated milk, I think, is the way most people know it. Lovely. And cake flour is the same as plain flour in the UK. Should be, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is in America, though, but that's what it is in the UK. So, where do we start? All right. First of all, you preheat your oven, as you will start with most kitchens. So make sure it's preheated at 180 degrees Celsius or 350 degrees Fahrenheit. And what we're going to do now is we can combine the first three ingredients. The first one being the cake flour, as well as the bicarbonate of soda and the salt. And we're going to sip this together for three times. So first we can add our one and a quarter cup of cake flour. And we're adding our two teaspoons of bicarbonate of soda and your quarter teaspoon of salt. Okay, so all those ingredients are added now together and sift three times. So you've got to sift it three times? Yeah, so make sure you have two large bowls so you can just interchange easily between them. Yeah. Is that to get more air into it? I think it's just to make sure that the carbon of soda is correctly mixed through all the cake flour. Because also using such a small amount of salt to make sure the salt is evenly distributed across yeah. the recipe. Alright, now we're done with that. Now we're basically going to beat the eggs and gradually add the caster sugar. Now the eggs are going to beat until they're light and fluffy. And um, yeah, we'll continue once that is done. Okay. 
Okay, so we have now added the eggs and the bicarbonate of soda, oh, correction, rather the eggs and the caster sugar. It's very important that once you add the caster sugar to it, to add it in batches, small batches, and to whisk it until it becomes nice and fluffy. I think a lot of the pudding actually relies on this being whisked properly, mm. because that just makes the pudding nice and spongy. So make sure the step is followed correctly. Okay, next up we're going to do is so we're going to heat the butter, the ideal milk, or evaporated milk as we know it now, the apricot jam, orange rind if you choose to add it, and um, we're going to use some orange juice and vinegar as well. We're going to mix it all together, heat it up in a pan, and just prevent it from curdling, so we'll just stir it vigorously as we do that and go along. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, that's fine, no, <laughs> no questions. Other than South African cooking has a lot of apricot jam in it. It seems like everything I make on a South African recipe is some, has some amount of apricot jam in it. Yeah, I think it's just because it's, yet again, um, people were isolated and they were in areas so far from each other and because there are always fruits available because of this country's full of fruit, they always just made apricots into all those type of products. And because it keeps so well, I think it just has a natural tendency to be added to your food and because most Africans have a sweet tooth, they'll just obviously <laughs> add it to their food in general. So yeah, that's probably the, the essence and why apricot is always fine in most things. But I think it's yeah, because of just traveling across the country, they never really had fridges, so mm. it's something that keeps well. Yeah, because there's also vinegar in a lot of things as well, and I really like vinegar, so I don't mind. Yeah. But I just noticed it seems to be similar ingredients that you wouldn't expect to be in a cake, necessarily. You know, I think this recipe itself is quite zesty. Mm. Um, that's as you can see with the orange rind and the orange. And the vinegar is just like adding towards that. But just combination between something sweet, like the, the apricot jam, and then the, the zestiness of the vinegar will just give it an edge, which makes this pudding, I think, quite nice for an after after supper pudding, which is probably why they used to do it back in the Cape in the olden days. Cool. Right. So yeah, now we're just going to eat together the butter and the buttermilk. But it's the ideal milk. Yeah. Ideal milk. Ideal milk's just gone halfway across the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, it's been muckled for quite a long time. You know, take note, if it was stored in a, in a hot place and you move into a cold room, that is bound to happen. <laughs> Pressure differentiation. This is why we're using half a cup. And if you actually use ideal milk, because there's a natural bit of sweetness to it, mm. you don't want to add too much sugar to the recipe, then this actually will, will help because there really is a bit of sweetness in it. So definitely something to consider if somebody doesn't want to worry too much about the calories <laughs> and produce. Possibly should be eating carrot cake or something if they're worried about it. No, maybe. Maybe it's just actually all tender for most of the things. Yeah, not, this is not the pudding for you if you're on Weight Watchers, I don't think. Okay, we've got the journey was using one tablespoon of this. But in whatever you say, we're not putting sugar in. You're destroying with apricot jam because it's extremely sweet. Okay, so that's in. Right, orange rind you can add now if you want to. But um, we're just going to go directly over towards the orange juice and we can do four tablespoons of orange juice with it. Okay, we're adding vinegar. Um, we're using a white wine vinegar, but basically any type of vinegar will work. It just depends on your own preference. It wouldn't change the recipe too much. Okay, so for the vinegar, using one tablespoon as well. Alright, so now that we have added all the ingredients, then um, we're just making it for it to melt. Once it's melted, you're going to use the same egg beater that you use to beat the eggs and the cotton sugar. Beat rapidly, that's all prevented from curdling. Um, yeah. It's a process you obviously don't want it to happen. And uh, yeah, 
Once we're done with that, we are going to fold together the mixtures. Yeah, the best time to know when it's actually done is as soon as the butter has melted in, and it should be fine. That's why it's always good to put the butter in at room temperature because that will just aid it to melt quicker and the longer you put it on, the faster it's going to start to curdle. Yeah, that's perfect. So that has now melted sufficiently and now we're just quickly going to beat it. If you worry your kitchen is going to be dirty after this, then you're quite correct. Now I'm just going to fold the flour mixture into the egg mixture and alternate with the butter mixture. So now we're starting the folding process, adding the flour mixture now into the egg mixture. This will probably be a three-way process. So first we're folding this together, making sure all the flour is correctly absorbed into the egg mixture. So did you put all the egg mixture in? Yes, the egg mixture is, is already in, in the pot and we're just adding everything else to it. Um, the reason why we're using folding uh, and not really beating it rapidly is because you want to maintain the fluffiness of the egg which we've already started. Mm -hmm. So it's a key point for this recipe. Okay, so now we're adding just a little bit of the hot butter mixture, about one third of it, and we keep on the folding. And are you alternating butter mixture with flour? Correct. Right, okay. You don't have to mix it in completely, just make sure it is semi-mixed. Now the second third, followed by the second third of butter mixture. And now the last bit of the flour mixture. And finishing up with the butter mixture. If you have any orange rind that you added initially, then this will be a good time just to scrap it all out and make sure it all goes onto the top of the mixture. Once all that has been folded in, you're going to use the same beater which you use to beat all the other ingredients and you're going to quickly beat it for about 20 seconds just to make sure everything is mixed together. Alright, now that everything has been mixed sufficiently, you can use your metal tray. The one I'm using is about 30 centimeters, about 25 centimeters, and probably about 4 centimeters thick. It's a good size because you don't want your pudding to be too thick as it will be uncooked on the inside. You also don't want to be too, too thin by stretch out because then it will start burning. We're just using what we have in South Africa called the cook and bake. It's like an aerosol can spray that will just basically um, give a Kind of coating, a non-stick coating towards the pan. So I want to lightly grease the pan then. Yes. Yeah, that would be fun. This is an easier way to do that. Yeah. Normally you do that if you're like on a diet and you don't want to use so many calories, you use that stuff to fry things. Oh really? Yeah, it was in the UK anyway, which I found quite ironic given the amount of butter we're going to put in no, well, We say when we can, right? <laughs> Still going to make custard afterwards. So <laughs> every bit you save is good. Okay, so now just add your mixture into your pan. Make sure you scrape all the bits out. You have to be kind of quick with this because of using the hot butter mixture. Yeah. You want to really make sure it gets into the oven quickly now. And it's still sort of like pancake battery, but you can see where it's getting cold and sort of getting gloopy. Yes, that's correct. Is there a way enough for cans for gloopy? Um, <laughs> Slaymerach. <laughs> that's a good fun. That's probably translating to slimy. Uh. So I don't know if it's 100% correct. <laughs> now that your mixture is sufficiently spread out across your pan, you can put it in the oven, which is already been preheated. It's going to bake for 45 minutes in, in this um, greased flat oven dish. We're putting it roughly in the middle of the oven, just to aid for sufficient cooking because, or baking rather, you want it to come from the bottom and the top. 
so you don't have a burning bottom or top, it's nice and even. Okay, so now we can start our time for 45 minutes. In the meantime, what we're going to do now is we're going to make a sauce as well. Now the sauce is we set ingredients, it's 190 moles or 3 um, quarters of a cup of butter. So there's some more butter to, to add in. 375 moles of cream, which is one and a half cup. The 250 moles, which is one cup of sugar. Five moles or one teaspoon of vanilla essence. And 190 milliliters or three quarters of a cup of water. Basically to add these ingredients together, um, we're just going to put it all in a pan. And we're going to make sure we just stir it until the sugar has dissolved. Once the pudding comes out of the oven, we're going to make sure we prick it sufficiently with a fork all across the top surface and then this sauce will be poured all over it, which is then absorbed into the sponge pudding, so to say, and then it's going to make it that sticky, delightful texture of a malfa pudding. So after that we didn't get any more recording done because we were too busy eating cake and drinking tea. It was a Sunday afternoon, it would be rude not to, but as I didn't want to subject you to my husband schnaffling his cake in a very undignified manner, because he really likes it, <laughs> um, I decided not to record that part of it, but the cake came out very nicely. It is a good accompaniment to tea, but as mentioned, you've probably put on half a stone just listening to the amount of butter that goes into it. It is a very, very rich pudding. Uh, but very nice so I definitely recommend it especially now winter is coming in the UK I think it will be a very nice after Sunday dinner treat there have been some requests from some South African expats for other South African recipes including milk tart which is very nice and cook sisters which no one is actually brave enough to help me make on the podcast yet and I've not a clue how you make it being English but I will try my best to get those in if you have any favourite South African dishes that you would like us to test and make on the podcast, possibly with Justice's help, then let me know. Equally, if you have any fan mail for Justice, then you can send that via me. Thank you very much, Justice, for your assistance with the Malva pudding recipe. Hopefully you won't get too much banter at work for it. Can't promise anyone's going to post you any knickers or anything, but if they do, that would be a good way to shut the guys up at work. So that brings us on to the end of episode 4. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and enjoyed the change in format slightly. The good news is in Cape Town I managed to get my other microphone fixed so we will be returning to that microphone for the next episode which will be nice. As always feel free to get in touch. I love hearing from you. I am contactable via all the usual channels on Twitter. I'm Shiny Bees. I'm also Shiny Bees on Ravelry. We have the Shiny Bees podcast group. You can contact me via the blog or via shinybeesinfo at gmail.com. Finally, I hope you all have a great week. Happy crafting and speak to you all again soon. Bye! Bye, Kazilina. You've been listening to the Shiny Bees podcast. Show notes can be found on the blog at shinybees.wordpress.com.